0: Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Galatians 3. We're going to dive into verses 6 through 9. While you're turning there, let me me read to you a passage out of John 8 about Abraham, because Paul introduces Abraham to these Galatian believers as part of his argument that They don't need to come in under the law to be saved or to perfect their salvation. I'm reading uh, to you from John 8, verse 34. It says that Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now that's interesting, right? Because that last phrase, from your father, he's not referring back to Abraham. It goes on to, uh, we go on to verse 39, they answered him. Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality, or really, we were not born of idolatry. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Now the reason why I I read I read that to you is because look at what the Jews say to Jesus. He says, Well, I, I understand that you you think you're the offspring of Abraham or the seed of Abraham and they say abraham is our father. and jesus said to them if you were abraham's children you would be doing the works abraham did. now now we we come over to galatians paul introduces abraham to these galatian believers. and what i want to point out to you is that the jews actually co-opted abraham to say that abraham was Their father. But Jesus kind of could put the kibosh on that, right? Because he says, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And when you read further in that passage in John, he says, You are the sons of the devil. And he's speaking to Jews. Now, we come over to Galatians, and we're going to read verses 6 through 9. And the purpose of the message here is to give you a foundation of who in the world Abraham is and why he is important to Gentile believers. You know, even today, in today's culture, Abraham is kind of like seen as, uh, you know, like the the patriarch of the Jews, and he is in a sense, but that's not all he was, or that's not all he is. And if you're anything like me, uh, you know, you go to church, you hear messages, and you hear some references to Abraham, but you really don't understand how Abraham fits in your story, why he's important, and why you even need to hear about him. You know, so he he moved out of Ur, and, you know, uh, God said some things to him. What's that have to do with me? Well, we understand that it has everything to do with us, based upon Galatians, because Paul is speaking to Gentile believers. If you go back in the past messages and up through Galatians, you see that he had turned to the Jewish believers, and he set them straight about the truth of the gospel, and then he comes over in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and he says, you dim-witted, you foolish Galatians, and then he goes on and on with them. Well, verses 6 through 9, he's still talking to those Gentile believers. So let's go ahead and read through these verses, and then we're going to break them down so we understand what Paul is saying. Let's go ahead and read, and I'm reading from the ESV version. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So let's go ahead and dive into this because we're going to understand the importance of Abraham to the plan of redemption. Why We're going to understand why Paul even brings him up, you know, uh, what, what about this guy? What about Abraham? What's the big deal with him? Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Galatians 3, 6 in the ESV says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, uh, those two words, just as in the Greek is kathos, uh, usually in current preaching, that's taken to mean that Abraham is an example for us. And when you hear that he's an example and you hear the preaching on how he's an example, it usually breaks down very quickly. I think that cathos, kathos can mean just as, but it can also be a conjunction that starts a new sentence, and that's the way it should be read here. If you're in the ESV, you see that um, the ESV has tagged or attached verse 6 to verses 1 through 5. Now, other translations start a new paragraph with verse 6, and that's really the way it should be. Because verses 1 through 5, Paul basically sets out and says to these Gentile believers, he says, okay, you've received the Spirit, and the Spirit came through the hearing of faith. He lays that out. And then in verse 6, well, you can end verse 5 by saying, well, how in the world did that happen? And Paul begins to explain in starting with verse 6, you know, Um, And that's why verse 6 should start a new paragraph. And the better translation, I think, is inasmuch Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. So what is Paul getting at here? Because this word righteousness is a word that's used in different contexts. And I think what we've done in uh, New Testament preaching is we have flattened it out to say that righteousness always means right standing with God, meaning uh, it, it involves, you know, like he has never seen you with sin at all. But that's not the context. It's not what uh, and we need to look at things in context. Just that passage in John, you see that... Um, you see that Jesus says, well, I understand that you are the offspring of Abraham, but Abraham is not your father. You know, well, in context, you understand what he's saying. But if you flatten it out, it's like, well, those two things, they, they contradict one another. But what Jesus said did not was not contradictory. And it's the same here in verse six. Verse six is not about how to get to heaven. Abraham believed God, and so it was counted to him as righteousness so he could go to heaven. That is not the context that Paul is talking about. In fact, it's a lot more concrete than that. In Genesis 15, Abraham complains that he has no heir. You know, God made some promises to him, and then Abraham's like, well, man, I, you know, I, I don't... I don't have a son. I don't have any heir. What, you're going you're to effectuate this through a slave? Through my slave? I guess so. And God says, no, no, I promise you a son. You know, and you know part of the story with Abraham that Sarah says, well, you know, go ahead and, um, you know, go ahead and create a son because we've got to do something because God promised. And God says, no, you're, you're going to do it my way. I promised you a son, you're going to get a son, and the son's going to be Isaac. So God promises a son, and that translates, when he promises a son, it's not, okay, now you get to go to heaven. The son translates to a vast family and land, and that's what is the inheritance. We talk about the inheritance all the time, but the inheritance is very concrete when it comes to Paul's mind. It is family and it is land. Now, let me back up a minute and just talk about this getting to heaven, because that's what all the preaching is about. And actually, that is just a small part of redemption, redemptive history. Today, if a Christian dies, the New Testament says, well, he's just fallen asleep. Why is that? Well, he's just fallen asleep because he's going to wake again. At the second coming of Christ, and when Christ comes again, he establishes his kingdom with what? His family, and he establishes the kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth. That's the land. And it's very concrete because we're not going to have a disembodied uh, eternal existence. We are going to have a bodied eternal existence. Our bodies, these bodies of humiliation, are going to be glorified like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a physical body right now. He's up in heaven, but he has a physical body. He ascended from the earth. In fact, he told his disciples, go ahead and handle me because a ghost does not have flesh and bone like you see me have. And so, you know, take a look at your hands, take a look at your feet, take a look at yourself in the mirror because this body is going to live forever, and that's part of the inheritance, and that goes all the way back to God promising Abraham uh, what we read in verse eight. But before we get there, let's explain a little bit more about verse six. It says, "Inasmuch Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness." Now we know that that does not mean, "Okay, Abraham, you get to go to heaven." What God is doing here is that he is establishing a covenant with Abraham. The world is what? All in sin, and God has to to effectuate redemption. Well, uh, unlike what a lot of preachers say, he can't just snap his fingers. He's got to work in the earth, and he's got to work a plan in the earth. You go to Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, and Jesus says in Gethsemane, If there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it pass, and he doesn't get an answer because he has to go to the cross, and then he has to be resurrected. There's no other way. God has to work in the earth. That's the way that redemption is effected or effectuated. Now, God establishes a covenant, and what he does is he finds a man, and he says, this is what I'm going to do through you, and he does what you might consider to be a carve-out. You know, you got the whole world is just pocked with sin. Everybody is pocked with sin, polluted with sin, and he picks Abraham, and he said, I'm going to work through you, and through you, I'm going to bring about redemption, and that gets into verse 8. Now, let's talk about the implications of a covenant. A covenant has social, legal, and political implications. And this is what God is doing here. This is what Paul has in mind when he refers back to Abraham, and it was counted to him as righteousness, Now, the easiest way to think of this covenant is probably to associate it with the body of Christ because we're kind of familiar with the body of Christ. The body of Christ, one, involves a kingdom. We have been translated from the authority of darkness into what? The kingdom of His Son. And when you're in a kingdom, that kingdom has its own culture, has its own ruler, has its own ways of doing things. So it's got those implications. And that kingdom, what? It had, like I said, it has its own ruler, so it's got political implications too. And it also has implications socially, because uh, you've, got, you've got fellow citizens of the kingdom, and then you have those people who are not fellow citizens of the kingdom. So with fellow citizens, you act one way, you know, because they're kind of like, well... Uh, there are, they are political brothers, but with those outside the kingdom, well, you know, you kind of keep at arm's length. Why? Because they're not part of the kingdom. They don't have um, their goals, their motivations, their loyalties are not aligned with yours. The body of Christ is also a family. You know, everyone who's in the body of Christ is related, brothers and sisters in Christ. So when you, when you take those things and you put them back into verse 6, that is what God is doing with Abraham. He said, I am establishing a covenant with you. And it was counted to him as righteousness. All right? So keep that in mind because we're going to go down and you're going to understand it a little bit more in verse 8. In fact, um, let me just... Let me put this in here Um, in Galatians 1, 4. We read uh, we read this. We went over this before, but who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and father. That shows the implications of a covenant. We are delivered from the present evil age. All right, and what Paul is doing is he's taking these Galatian believers and he's taking them all the way back and showing them their pedigree. And their pedigree involves this pronouncement of God to Abraham. All right, so let's go on to verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says, he writes, Know then, understand then, that it is those of faith. are the sons of Abraham, those of faith. Now, that's interesting, given what we just read in John 8, right? Because Jesus is talking to the Jews, and he says, well, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, but Abraham is not your father. You're actually sons of the devil when you go through the whole passage. Compare that to here in Galatians 3, 7. Paul is speaking to, what, the one side of the room of the Galatian believers, Gentile believers, not the Jewish ones. Gentile believers, and he says, it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. It's important to note what he doesn't say. He does not say, those of the law are the sons of Abraham. Or, those under the Torah are the sons of Abraham. He says, no, it's those of faith. And those of faith is an important phrase that Paul keeps on using all the way down through Galatians. Now, let's break that down just a little bit, all right? So you understand it, those of faith. One thing about the establishment of a covenant, God comes to Abraham and says, basically, I'm going to establish a covenant through you. When you're part of a covenant, you've got what you might call believing allegiance. You have allegiance to that covenant. It affects you and the way you do things. You exhibit a loyalty to that covenant because you're in covenant with this person. So you're going to do things that help the covenant, that keep the covenant, and you're not going to do things that break the covenant. And when you get into Christianity... Faith is about believing allegiance. You've got a risen Lord, right? You've got Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, literally raised from the dead. And faith involves identification with Him. You go over to Romans 9, and it's what? You believe that He was raised from the dead, and there's not an end stop. There is not a period. You have to proclaim Him to be Lord, and that is part of believing allegiance, That's part of coming into covenant, where you are part of this body, where you are part of the family. And you act in the family's interest, and you act with believing allegiance and believing loyalty. Amen. So uh, you take that into account in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, those who exhibit the believing allegiance are the sons of Abraham. Amen. And you're going to see a little bit more about what Abraham believed. All right, now going into verse eight. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, doesn't say Jews, Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now this is a real interesting scripture. Because it said in the scripture, foreseeing. That's prophetic. That is talking about the future. That God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. So God's proclamation to Abraham had this foresight to it. Because foreseeing is an element of prophecy. Now let me read to you what Paul is quoting here when he says, saying, In you all nations will be blessed. That's Genesis 12:3. God appears to Abraham and says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen to this, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You can Uh, you can take the translation, in you all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth, all the tribes of the earth, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed in you. Now, that is prophetic. And why is that prophetic? Why does Paul say in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles? Now, notice that Abraham is all wrapped up in to the justification of the Gentiles. He's not talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Gentiles. It's prophetic. And this is where I have to kind of foreshadow a little bit of what Paul's going to get into in Galatians 3 and Galatians 4. Now, remember that he's already preached the gospel to these Galatian believers, so they've already gotten this to some extent. And so uh, I need to break it down to you because we're going from the get-go, from 1-1 all the way down. Paul's point in Galatians is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Israel's Messiah, the Lord Jesus, removes the curse of the law and enables the Gentiles to be justified or made righteous by faith. So, in other words, there uh, the law uh, the law creates a curse, and that curse kind of jams up the promise. This promise made to Abraham of. Uh, in you all the nations or all the Gentiles will be blessed. Well, what takes away that jam is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul gets into that. So he kind of forecasts that by saying to these Galatians, he said in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify you by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, Abraham, who's been co-opted by the Jews to say that he's their father, but no, Abraham is actually the father of those of the faith, saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. The nations will be blessed, what? After the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me read to you... Um, John 8.53 give you a little bit of background about this, how this text is prophetic. The Jews are um, arguing with Jesus, said, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answers and says, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Now notice John 8:56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Notice that. Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And was glad. And that ties into Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 8. When God said, In you all the nations will be blessed, Abraham saw what? Jesus' day and rejoiced in it. Amen. Is prophetic. Now, for those of you who wanna uh, who want to go down a little bit more with that. Let me bring to you Psalm seventy-two seventeen, Because the Psalms say what was promised to Abraham would be fulfilled in David. And when you go back to ancient days, uh, David was considered to be in Abraham's loins because, what, he's a seed or a descendant, an offspring of Abraham. So in 72, 72, 17, it says... May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun, may people be blessed in him, and all nations call him blessed. That may people be blessed in him echoes the promise to Abraham. So the psalmist says what was promised to Abraham would be fulfilled in David, and what was said about David is fulfilled by Christ. Amen. And you have that also in Psalm 2. So that's all wrapped up into uh, Paul saying, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. Not just one nation, all of them. Redemption was going to go to the ends of the earth. Amen. So Paul wraps up this thought by saying, so then, so then, those who are faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, I think actually King James, the translation is better. It said, faithful Abraham. That goes back to believing allegiance. So then, those who are of the faith with that aspect of believing allegiance. You call Jesus Lord, well, then you've got believing allegiance. I pledge my allegiance to this Lord, to Jesus who is risen. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. And that in that sense, he was also faithful Abraham. He was inside of the covenant. Amen. And so now you understand more about how Abraham is not the father of the Jews, so to speak. He is the father of what? Those of the faith. And displaying this Abrahamic faithfulness, this covenantal faithfulness, assures the Gentiles of their place in the kingdom of what? Israel's Messiah. Amen. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? So now you understand Abraham's place in what? in the faith, in the covenant. And you understand that when you're part of, you're a member of those of the faith, you are a member of the body. That all started back with Abraham. And that involves a a covenantal promise. And that covenantal promise actually kind of goes both ways. You have God declaring something and fulfilling it. and, And we, on the other hand, we have believing allegiance. We express believing allegiance to that covenant. Amen. So that wraps up Galatians uh, 3, verses 6 through 9. Let me go ahead and conclude with what Paul concludes in Galatians 6.18, the benediction. He writes, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen.